morning everyone, I'm Ben, uh, I'm part of the church here at Ebby, um, and today we're going to be carrying on our series on the Bible. Um, now, most weeks we talk about the Bible, but this, this whole series is looking at the Bible itself specifically, um, and today uh, we're thinking about meditating on the Bible, uh, drawing on some verses in Psalm 1. Um, and I just want to say at the top, I'm going to try and make this this morning a really like practical guide, um, some really uh, hands on sort of techniques and tips. And basically, we're just going to work through three ways to read the Bible differently. Um, now, when I say differently, differently to what um, I'll come on and explain that in a second. Um, but just while we're talking about this being a practical guide, uh, a lot of the time, uh, I would, on a talk like this, talk about why, why it's important, which way we read the Bible, why we should read it one way and not another, what difference the way we read it makes, how we make sense of making sense of things, how we interpret texts, like all of those things are basically my favourite subjects. <laughs> um, technically, that's what you'd call hermeneutics. Uh, it's one of my favourite things to talk about, and I could happily talk till the cows come home about why the way that we interpret things matters. Um, but I have talked about that quite a lot in the past and Sarah did a really good job last week of introducing some of the broad ideas about why the way we read the Bible matters. Um, so you can go digging through the Ebby archives if you want to hear some of that stuff or just find a way of talking to me because I will happily talk your ear off about it. Um, so instead of doing the why this morning, I'm really going to try and focus instead on the, on the how. What I'm going to suggest this morning, I'm not saying are a perfect or complete answer on how to read the Bible. This is not the right way to read the Bible that will solve everything. It will probably uh, leave just as many gaps as it fills. It will raise as many questions as it answers. If you try and think that this just single-handedly covers everything, um, it won't. <laughs> so just to manage your expectations now. Um, and that's because it's not trying to be a comprehensive answer on how should we read the Bible. That is a, an ongoing conversation that, again, you could spend days, years uh, discussing. Um, instead, I'm, I'm really just trying to focus on one thing, and, and that's this idea of reading it differently. And when I say differently, I mean differently to one way of reading the Bible, which I think is quite a common way of reading the Bible, possibly the most common probably the way that um, people sort of, if you just ask somebody on the street, this is probably how they would broadly expect the Bible to work. Um, and so when I'm saying three ways to read the Bible differently, I mean differently in this one regard. Uh, and what that is really is uh, different to reading the Bible like a manual, like an instruction guide, like a, like a textbook or a reference book, like a, a thing that tells you the answers or what to do and how to behave. Uh, like I say, I think that is probably the main way that lots of people have in their head of how what the Bible is, what it's for, how you ought to read it. Um, and I think a lot of sort of Christian habits or guides or whatever, a lot of them will trade on the idea of reading the Bible like a manual. If you want the technical term for this, and again, this is something I've spoken about before, um, this is what's called efferent reading. Uh, again, I'm not going to do the why. I'll just say that I don't think that is a great way to read the Bible. In fact, I think a lot of the time it's specifically 
harmful. I don't think it does justice to the text and the way the text works, and I don't think it does justice to the complexity of the world normally, and I think a lot of the time it embeds uh, unhelpful or sometimes actively dangerous uh, ways of thinking and outlooks. But I'm not doing the why. I'm just <laughs> going to stop myself. We're going to stick to the how. Okay, so if, if I think reading it like a manual is not a great way of doing it, um, what's this alternative way that I'm going to explore this morning? Uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how to read the Bible um, in a way that is about losing ourselves in it rather than finding things out from it. So again, technical term for that is a more aesthetic way of reading the Bible. So if Ephraim is reading it like a Haynes manual, like a recipe book, like give me the instructions, tell me what to do, then aesthetic is reading it more like a story, like um, a poem, uh, like a novel, um, where it's about immersing yourself in the world, about walking around in the, um, the imaginative space it creates. Uh, and really, I think the key thing there is about the dynamic between us and the text. And what I mean by that is when you read it efferently, like a manual, you are the big thing and the text is small. So I want to find out answers to my questions. And as a subset of me, I'm going to go look in this book and it's going to tell me one thing for this one situation. So then I'm going to know what I think about this topic or that topic or what the right answer is on this moral question. But the big thing is me and the text is a small thing that helps me. If you flip it around and read it aesthetically, um, I think that changes that relationship. And the idea of these three things that we're going to look at this morning is it's about trying to make the text a bigger thing and us the smaller thing. So that actually uh, it's about how do I fit into the world, into the story, into the picture um, of God that is being told here. And, and how is God's world working and where do I fit inside of that? And so it kind of flips the telescope around and, and makes us the smaller thing. Um, if it's helpful, uh, one little analogy uh, might be, it's like the difference between watching a two minute YouTube tutorial uh, versus a night at the cinema watching an epic film. Um, YouTube tutorials are great if you've got a specific thing, you know how you know how it is. I need to know, I don't know, how to fix this tap, how to uh, remove my bike tire, how to fold a fitted sheet. This is a particularly good one, by the way. If you're looking for two minutes of video content that can change your life forever, can recommend learning how to fold a fitted sheet. It's about my only chore that I can get done. Um, but you know how those work is you've got a specific thing in mind, you do a search, you're looking for something short, snappy, uh, minimal time that will tell you a definitive answer that you can just take away and do. And then, bam, two minutes later, I now, now know how to solve this problem that I already had. So that's a YouTube tutorial video. But that's very, very different to the experience of going to the cinema. Um, I think if any of us you know, paid 15 quid or whatever it is these days, 
and you know queued for 20 minutes and watched half an hour of trailers and bought popcorn and sat there in the dark with like super loud sound and got all hyped up and then endured two and a half hours of character development and beautiful scripting and epic soundtracks just because we wanted to find out how to fold a fitted sheet i don't think many people would be doing it for a date night i guess <laughs> we know that it's a different experience we know that we don't go to the cinema for the same reason that we go to youtube for a tutorial and we don't expect the same sort of experience and we don't expect them to work on us in the same way uh, the thing that you come away with from a night watching a brilliant film in a cinema is a very different feeling than you come away with from watching a youtube tutorial to solve a specific problem that you've got and that's kind of the difference between this like efferent manual textbook approach and what I'm going to be talking about for the rest of the time this morning, this more immersive, aesthetic, um, losing ourselves in the story approach. Okay, I hope that that sort of sets the scene all right. Um, so here we go, three really specific, practical ways to try and do that more immersive cinema style reading instead of the YouTube tutorial. So the first one is... Uh, when you go looking for an answer, I think that's a quite a common way that people read the Bible is um, they've got a question or a dilemma or a topic that they want to know about and they go, oh, well, I'm a Christian. I guess I should find out what the Bible tells me is the answer to that. Um, and so you go and maybe you search on Google or maybe you flip to the back of the Bible and look in the index. Um, or maybe you try and ask somebody for a, for a guide, but what you're looking for is you've got a specific question and you want to find out, like the YouTube tutorial, what is the two-minute summary on the answer to this question? And so you might end up uh, on a page like this, for example. So maybe you go and Google and go, uh, what, do, what does the Bible say about voting? Or who does the Bible tell me I should vote for in the next election? Could be any topic. What does the Bible tell me about uh, which crockery I should buy? I don't know. <laughs> um, but you might end up on a page like this and you can see there it's, it's trying to provide that bite-sized snippet of definite answer. Like as if you can just ask one question and get one word, one sentence reply that just is, that just solves it for you. Again, I won't go into why I think that's not a great way of doing it. I just say that I don't think it is. <laughs> um, but that, I think, is quite a common way for people to actually get into their Bible. They've got a question in mind. That book on the shelf up there tells me something about it. I'm going to go find out, and it will tell me in one line what I'm supposed to think. Uh, so if that is you, or if you ever find yourself in that situation, here is an alternative way of reading it. Uh, when you feel you're tempted to get into that, to stop you reading it like a manual. Um, instead of uh, going in with a question in mind and looking for the one-line answer, my first suggestion would be ditch the question entirely. So next time you're tempted to do that, stop and forget your question. Like, put it to one side. And before you go to look at the Bible, try and actively not be thinking about this question that I want to find out the answer to. And then, instead of going looking for that one-line um, uh, summary that just tells you the instruction, instead of that, try and explore 
the story. Now, this is important. We've already ditched the question. So this is not exploring the story so that you can find out a rich, varied, immersive answer to how should I vote. Okay, we're putting the question entirely to one side for a second. And instead of trying to get an answer to a question, we're just going to spend some time exploring the story on its terms. And this is that thing about changing the dynamic again. So this is about um, stopping it be that I'm the big thing, I'm, I know the right question to ask, and this thing is supposed to serve me with an answer. We're going to try and flip that around and say, I'm just interested to hear what you've got to say, and I'm going to see where I fit inside that today. And maybe that will come back to voting or my crockery choices or whatever, but maybe it will just open up something entirely different, something totally unexpected. We've ditched our question. Instead of that, we're just going to explore the story on its terms. And one really practical way to actually do that, I think this is could be helpful, uh, is to choose three bits, preferably three bits from quite different places in the Bible, and don't pick them strategically. It's not quite flipping it open at a random page, but just letting yourself uh, find three seemingly unrelated passages. Um, yeah, see what your hand or eye is drawn to. Um, I often find it helpful to try and take them from quite different bits of the Bible. So maybe you take something from near the beginning in the First Testament. Maybe you take something from near the middle, like a psalm or something from Proverbs. And maybe you take something from like the final third of the Bible in the New Testament, a gospel um, or one of the letters. Just because that gives you uh, very different sort of types of literature often. But the point is we're not going looking for a one-line answer anymore. We're now just exposing our brains to three different bits of the story and seeing how they resonate, I suppose. And so you might end up with something like this, uh, this selection I've got here. I haven't carefully curated these. This is just three random chunks. And it might look at the first glance like these have got nothing to do with each other. They've certainly got nothing to do with the question that we thought we wanted to ask. But that's kind of the point. Um, this is about putting our question to one side and exploring the story on its own terms and just letting ourselves walk around in that and hearing what it has to say. That's the first one. Second thing, and I think this is quite a common way uh, that people again actually dig into their Bible, certainly in like evangelical circles, um, is, a, is a quiet time or a daily reflection or a guided meditation, whatever you might call it. Um, uh, you know, that sort of like 10 minutes at the start of the day where you go, oh gosh, I, I really should not just watch the next episode of that Netflix thing I'm binging. I should be holy and serious and go and read two chapters of Nehemiah. Um, <laughs> I think that's quite a common way of reading it. But again, I think it often comes with that manual approach to things, that efferent outlook, that instruction guidebook thing kind of baked in. Um, and so whether you're reading with like a study guide or even if it's just the questions that you subconsciously have in your head, they, I think, will often look like this. Um, so you can see there, are there any commands for me to obey? Uh, what steps can I take to apply this to my life? What's the action that I need to change? Um, and so every time we're kind of doing these quiet time studies, often we're, we're coming to the passage looking for 
what does it tell me to do differently? How do I need to, um, where's the instruction on how to change my behavior right now, today? Uh, and again, this is just to try and give you an alternative to doing that, because I think that's often a very limited and unhelpful way of approaching the text. So next time you're doing a quiet time and you're sitting down to your two chapters of Nehemiah, instead of coming at it with the what are the instructions on the actions I need to change um, attitude or a set of questions, here's my alternative proposal. Um, first, ditch the search for your actionable. <laughs> so in the same way we threw away our question, throw away as best you can that desire to get one behavior to change. Put that to one side. That's not what we're looking for. Uh, and then instead of reading it looking for actions, try and read it just taking note of your feelings. Uh, this is, again, the technical thing for this is a, this is called an Ignatian reflection. And what you try to do is uh, situate yourself in the story. So imagine the scene. Um, sometimes it will literally be a scene that you're reading about. Jesus is on a hillside preaching. Sometimes you'll have to do a little bit of extra work, like I imagine that I'm in a church in Ephesus and I've been sent a letter and I'm sitting there over my other church members hearing this letter read out. Whatever, as best you can, try and visualize, imagine the scene um, of this passage that you're reading. Uh, and then instead of looking for actions and behavior changes, just try and pay attention to how it makes you feel. There's no right or wrong answers on this, and you're not looking for your feelings in order to tell you what your actions should be. You're just observing them. You're just reflecting them back to yourself. And so you might end up with something like this. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. And it might be that, you know, you're picturing the scene, you're hearing the sounds, you're seeing the sights, you're smelling the smells in your mind. Okay, and then we hear Jesus say, consider how the wildflowers grow. Maybe that makes you feel like, oh, that's nice. Again, this is just your gut reaction. Don't try and have a clever feeling. Just what is your immediate gut feel? And then he carries on. But then maybe in a couple of lines, he says, uh, closing the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. And maybe that makes you kind of go, oh, ooh, I don't like that. That feels quite uncomfortable. That sounds a bit scary. Not so sure about that. And you carry on. And again, so you might even get to a bit that looks like an instruction. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. But we're not looking for instructions. We're looking for feelings. And so what is your feeling when you hear that? Does that get you fired up and make you think, yes, finally somebody is saying this? Or does that scare you? Is that what I'm supposed to do? I'm not sure about that. Um, we're not looking for instructions. We're reading for our feelings and our emotional reaction. So that's my second suggestion. And then thirdly, just because time is ticking, um, home group, I think, is another place where people actually often read the Bible. Um, in our home group, we've been carrying on meeting on Zoom and uh, been reading through different passages together. Um, and I think with home group, often the, the manual approach works a little bit differently here, the instruction book thing. I think what often happens is in a home group setting, so you're reading together, I think there's often a desire to try and find uniformity 
or consensus, to land it in a nice, neat place where everybody knows the right answer. So a bit like earlier on, we, were, we had a one-line question and we wanted a one-line answer. Now we're all reading it together, but there's often a sense that like the point of reading this together is to get us all on the same page, to make sure that we've all agreed, oh yeah, this is the right interpretation. This is the right answer. This is this good. Okay, we've all come to the same point. That must be right. Um, again, I won't try and explain now why I think that is often an unhelpful um, outlook. I'm just going to propose an alternative. And my alternative here is uh, instead of reading to try and land all in one nice, neat place where everybody's on the same page, ditch the need for that. Try as best you can to put to one side uh, that desire to get everybody agreed and in alignment. And instead, actively try and read for difference and try and hold that tension open. It might often be uncomfortable the first few times you do this. Um, sometimes it can feel a bit like a sentence that never comes down. If you've ever heard someone on a radio phone in and they're going on for too long, it's really stressful where their sentences just keep going up at the end. And so they've been on the phone for 10 minutes already and we really want it to come down so know that it's going to finish at some point because really how long is this call going to go on for? But it sounds like they're just going to keep on going to another point and I need this to land because I'm not getting any closure here. But actually, I think they're just going to keep on going and maybe there's still going to be another thing after that. Like it's, it's stressful, but that is part of what we want to aim for because the, this desire for everyone to be on the same page is looking for that sentence to come into to land to oh okay we've all agreed now this is the answer but instead of that i would encourage you to try and read deliberately to keep those sentences going up at the end to keep that difference to let there be five different takes that are nothing like each other and not to try and do anything with that, but just to let them all sit in the room. Um, this works especially well if you are doing the reading for feelings approach. And we have been doing this in our home group lately. I've really been enjoying it. It's been really interesting to hear how differently people can emotionally respond to the same passage. And so it's easy to assume, well, we all feel upset about this bit and we all feel reassured by this bit. But actually, you'll often find people have totally different emotional reactions to you. And the bit that you thought was definitely scary, they find really exciting. Or the bit that you find really reassuring, they find really dismaying. And I just encourage you in home group settings, if you can practice reading for emotions, great. And then on top of that, just practice reading for difference to hold those a community of responses, I suppose, in the same space without feeling the need to make everybody get to the same conclusion that brings the sentence down in that nice reassuring, ah, oh, good, we can all go home now way. Um, that is a very quick whistle-stop tour of three practical ways to try and read uh, the Bible differently, not like a manual, more like a story, not with our questions front and center, but with its narrative front and center. So just so in case you've forgotten, instead of going one line question, one line answer, try and read three seemingly unrelated passages. Instead of when you're doing your quiet time, uh, reading for life application, try reading for emotions. And when you're doing home group, 
Instead of trying to read for uniformity and agreement, try and read for difference and diversity. Uh, and all of that, I think, is really helpful because what it ultimately is, is about is, is us trying to walk around in the story of God. So rather than trying to work out how God fits into the story of me, how Christianity steers my next step, what Jesus tells me I ought to do in my life that is largely decided by what I think is important, is trying to flip that relationship around and saying, God's story is front and centre, and how do I walk around in that? How do I see the paths of the kingdom in the world around me? How do I familiarise myself with the world as God sees it? on God's terms, uh, so that I can try and be sensitive to it in the world as I find it. Um, that is quite enough from me, so I will leave it there.